We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 this morning. Uh, you can take out your Bibles and flip there. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, uh, we'll have the majority of the scriptures up on the screen. It's nice to have the text in front of you so you can follow along uh, in a great way. Um, we're going to have the ushers come forward with Bibles and uh, just feel free to flag one down and grab a Bible from them as, uh, as they come forward. First uh, Corinthians chapter 12. Today we're going to be looking at uh, verses 12 through 27. And uh, let's go ahead and pray before we dig in. Lord, we just thank you for the, the work that you're doing in this church, even in this series, dealing with spiritual things and spiritual gifts. And uh, Lord, we just pray that you would have your way in our midst. Just uh, speak through me in a demonstration of your powerful spirit, Lord. Uh, we just pray that you would beckon men to yourself and that you would call men and women to be uh, a part of your plan for this world, God. Uh, just exalt your, your name and build up your church today. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this is about week four, if I'm correct, in our series on spiritual gifts. Uh, in verse one, Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware or ignorant, my brethren, concerning spirituals. Concerning spiritual matters, and the context has led many uh, of the uh, transcribers uh, to, to insert spiritual gifts there, uh, the context of it. But literally, it's, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning spiritual things. And, uh, and so we've been taking uh, some special weeks to uh, get some knowledge, get some understanding on, on who God is and what his plan is for us with the spiritual realm, with spiritual gifts. Uh, we, we've seen uh, in verses 1 through 11 that, uh, that God has been distributing gifts to Christians since Acts chapter 2. Uh, since the, the first century AD. God's been giving gifts to everyone who is a Christian. Uh, if you're a Christian here today, I've got glorious news for you. God has given you at least one special spiritual gift to use for the purpose of building up everybody else that's in the church around you. How exciting is that? That God has specifically thought of you and distributed a gift to you uh, with your name on it, the packaging, the bow, the ribbon handed to you so that you can use it. Exciting thing. We've been challenging people uh, this, this series to be examining their, their giftings and to ask God what their giftings are so that they can use them. Uh, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about the Holy Spirit in this series. We're going to talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. And I don't want you to be scared or confused. Who's the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God, okay? Uh, as you become a Christian, you begin to learn some doctrine, some true teachings of the church, one of which is called the Trinity. And the Trinity means tri-unity or three in one, okay? Uh, we see this in the scripture, in the Old Testament and in the New, that there are three persons in the one Godhead, okay? Uh, we're not talking polytheism, or as I said a few weeks ago, polygamy. Wrong word to use in this study. <laughs> God doesn't have many wives either. That was my mistake. Um, nobody? Nothing? He does? I don't know. What? Okay. <laughs> okay. The Trinity is one God that consists of three persons, okay? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, okay? Uh, God is spirit, Jesus says in John chapter four, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now we know that God became flesh, uh, the Son became flesh, the second person of the Trinity, who is just as much fully God as God the Father, is just as much the Creator as God the Father. Uh, God the Son, He was begotten, He was sent. Uh, he's the first ranked among, uh, among anyone else who would be risen from the dead, the firstborn from the dead. Uh, that God, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And then when he ascended to the right hand of the Father, he didn't leave us as orphans, but he sent the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, also known as the Comforter uh, or the Parakletos in the Greek, which means he will come alongside you and he will teach you, he will convict 
to you. He will be in you. He will come upon you. He will empower you. And when we speak of that, we don't speak of anything funky or crazy or psycho, loss of control, tremors on the ground, you know, and nothing like that. We speak of a God who gives us a fruit of self-control and he gives gifts and he helps you testify of Jesus to all the world so that you can truly be a Christian, which means little Christ, Christian, little Christ. By the power of the Holy Spirit in and upon us, we can go throughout this world and tell people about Jesus. Now, something that the Holy Spirit does is he's not a force. He's not some Star Wars thing that you've got to use the force and really tap in. No, he's a person. He has a personality. He is grieved. He is quenched. He has a job description. And part of the Holy Spirit's job description is that he distributes gifts, all right? He's the true and better Santa Claus, okay? He distributes gifts individually as he Wills. And that's what we've been studying the last few weeks. We took an in-depth look at a list of spiritual gifts in the, in the scriptures. Not an exhaustive list, but, but some of the ones that we see specifically lined out for us. Uh, so I encourage you to get online and listen to those past studies as uh, if you've missed them. But as we're in verse 12 today, we see Paul kind of shifts gears a little bit to describe the use and the importance of these spiritual giftings within our church, okay? And in verse 12, we see he draws a picture for us so that we can get it into our skulls because I need as much help as possible. And the picture that he draws for us is that of a body, okay? A body. Let's just read verse 12. For as the body is one... And has many members or many parts, but all the members of that one body being many are one body. So also is Christ. So Paul uses this picture, a picture that is used not only in Christianity, but in history and antiquity to uh, illustrate. Many philosophers use the human body as this idea of the world and of communities and of uh, being part of a nation, being part of a state, being part of a, of a chamber, anything like that. Uh, the word body has been used even by non-Christians. Uh, Seneca says, we are the parts of one great body. And many commentators that I've read cite this special fable that's called the fable of Meniceus Agrippa. It's a story that Agrippa used during the plebs revolt in Rome. And he tells the story of the stomach, a stomach that appeared to the other parts of the body to be doing nothing but enjoying the food that they've been shoving down the gullet and into that stomach. So all the rest of the parts of the body agreed to starve the stomach only to find that they themselves became weak and incapacitated. Okay, so uh, even Agrippa used this to, to speak of Rome and a revolt in Rome. Now, we all know the human body is an amazing machine, and I'm sure Bill Nye, the science guy, could do much more to describe that than myself, although he is an evolutionist, so we'll go there. But uh, did you know what the human body accomplishes in 24 hours? Here's a few facts of an average adult of average height and weight, okay? Uh, so not me, average, okay? <laughs> The heart beats about 100,000 times a day. One statistic says that your blood travels 168 million miles. I looked it up twice, seemed to confirm it, but you might want to do the research on that. I'm like, 168 million miles, okay. You take approximately 20,000 breaths a day. You inhale more than 2,600 gallons of air through your lungs. You eat 3.5 pounds of food a day, 12.5 in this general region. Um, you drink 2.9 pounds of liquid. You lose in weight 7.8 pounds of waste and perspire 1.43 pints. You give off heat constantly of 85.6 degrees Fahrenheit and you turn in your sleep 25 to 35 times a night. You speak 48,000 words a day. Again, this is average, okay? You move 750 major muscles. Your nails grow 0.00046 of an inch, and your hair grows 0.01714 of an inch. You exercise 7 billion, a million brain cells with every thought. 
Okay, so the, the body's incredible, and that's just a little bit of an idea of what's going on every day in this human body. And Paul would use the human body today in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to describe the hustle and the bustle and the activity of the church. The church, the body of Christ. As the body is one body, but it has many different parts All the members of that body, although there's many, they're still part of one body. So also is Christ. Now, I want you to maybe mark at the end of your Bible or just mental note this. Notice it says, so also is Christ. It doesn't say, so also is the body of Christ. That would be true. But Paul is actually going deeper than that and saying, the body of Christ is Christ moving and acting in this world. All right? Uh, he, he sent us out to be little Christ. And as we're obedient to the Bible and we're doing what he wants us to do, man, it's Jesus moving and acting. You guys know the song that's on the radio so often. If we are the body, then why aren't his arms reaching? Why aren't his hands, uh, his feet going? Why aren't his, his voice speaking? Why aren't we doing what he wants us to do? We are his body. This is what Christ is. He has shown himself to the world through the church, the body of Christ. Now, lots of different members in one body. 1 Corinthians 10, 17 says, For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. We studied this a few weeks ago, looking at communion, and how when we come to the communion table, we all partake of one loaf. And it's a picture as we come to communion. How we're all partaking of Jesus, who's the bread of life. We're partaking of the altar and what he did when he laid down his body for us as a sacrifice for sins. We're saying, "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yes, Lord, I receive that into my innermost being, what you've accomplished for me. But also, uh, lately I've been making our communion bread and it's been a fun little project, all right? And uh, we got a fresh batch coming your way, all right? And... uh, And I can tell you that this is all one loaf, all right? I squeezed it, I squished it, I rolled it, I stripped it, and I cut it crossways, all right, and baked it. And I can tell you it's one loaf. So when we eat it, we're fellowshipping together. That word is share. We're sharing together. It's also the word communion. We're sharing not only in what Christ did, but we're sharing together. We're being part of that one loaf. We are one body. Now, we're going to go to Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. It's another letter of Paul's, and he describes it in a similar way. We're also going to come back to it later on in our study. So if you have a paper Bible with you, you might just keep your finger here. It says something very similar. As we have many members, this is Romans 12, 4. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. So very similar passage, a parallel passage of the unity and the uh, distinction. There's a fundamental unity in the body of Christ, how we are called not to be isolated, not to be by ourselves. We've not been saved to isolation, all right? We've been saved to a community, to a flock, to a uh, vineyard, and and we are the branches together bearing fruit. We've been called to be living stones stacked together, useful to make up the temple of God. We're called to be together, not some sheep off by himself that the wolves are going to take out, not some stone tossed off over the side of the hill where the weeds will go around. We're to be together, and we make something together. We are members of a body. Now, verse 13 tells us, how do I get to be part of that body? All right. It says, for by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. Now, it's here in the scriptures that we see a different kind of baptism. All right. Oftentimes, we just think baptism is water baptism, water baptism, getting dunked with something. All right. Uh, and, And it doesn't mean that all the time. 
It's like the word watch, all right? You can wear a watch, or you can watch out, you know, or you can stand watch as a guard, all right? Mean, they mean different things. And whenever Paul the Apostle speaks of baptized, unless he specifically speaks of water baptism, he is speaking of uh, being converted, being uh, inducted, if you will, like a rookie who has his baptism, you know, in his first baseball game. Yeah, he had his baptism today, you know. Uh, he didn't get dunked with the Gatorade. That was the coach that got dunked with the Gatorade. He had his first game, okay. The reason I mention this is because there's different baptisms in the New Testament, all right? And the one that we read of right here in verse 13 is the first baptism that a Christian goes through, okay? So let's say you're walking along and you're not a Christian and you're doing this and that and everything else, rebelling against God, and the Holy Spirit beckons you and calls you and shows you your sin and how you've sinned against a holy, righteous judge, and one day you're going to be judged by him, and if you're not found right, you will be sent to hell for all eternity, but then he shows you the solution found in Jesus Christ, who has laid his life down as a substitute for your sins, that you wouldn't have to die and you wouldn't have the wrath of God poured out upon you because Jesus did. And you say, that sounds awesome. I don't want the wrath of God poured out on me. Thank you, Jesus. I received that substitution. That moment, the Holy Spirit comes and he takes out your heart of stone that is hard. It doesn't beat. It doesn't know God. And he puts in you a heart of flesh that is alive and beats and can now understand God and can hear God and have a relationship with God and wants to know God. It's called being born again. It's also called regeneration or conversion, all right? Now, at that moment, you have been baptized. Well, where's the water, boss? Okay, no water yet, okay? This is what we read of here in verse 13. The one who is dunking you is the one Holy Spirit, he is doing the baptism. What does it say? For by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. The Holy Spirit has baptized you at that moment into God's church. Not Calvary Chapel, not First Baptist, not the Ascent, not the community church. All right. He has baptized you into his universal church. You're part of his family. All right. You've been adopted in to the home of God. It's a spiritual work. And it happens in your heart by the Holy Spirit. He baptizes you. Then comes baptism number two, a water baptism. It's a baptism of repentance where you show the world, hey, I was in rebellion against God. But just as Jesus Christ died and was buried and rose from the dead in resurrection power, so too I. I go to the water and I say, hey, I'm dead with Jesus by faith now, I believe. And you go into the water and gurgle, gurgle, gurgle. And the tradition says you stay down longer the more sin you had in your life. You're down there for 10 or 15 minutes. You finally come up, all right? And you're telling everybody around you, you're telling the world, hey, I've been crucified with Christ and yet I live, and the life that I now live, I live in resurrection power by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's water baptism. And the third baptism we see in the scripture was mentioned by John the Baptist and Jesus himself. It's called the baptism with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And it's here where Jesus is the one doing the baptism. Now there's some debate on whether or not that happens the moment that you're saved or it happens at some other point. But, but I don't want to get into the debate. I just want to say we see the baptism with the Holy Spirit in the Bible and whatever it is, we want it. Whenever it happens, we need it. And as you look at the Greek word, it means to be continually, overflowingly filled with the power of the Holy Spirit for the purpose of evangelizing the world. And oftentimes we see gifts of the Spirit given at that same moment, and they're able to be used in power to build up the church and evangelize the world for the glory of God, okay? That's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Question is, is there power in your life? If you feel like a dry sponge on the side of the sink, then pray that God, that Jesus would baptize you with the Holy Spirit, plunge you into the living water that John chapter 7 speaks about when Jesus says on the great day of the feast, hey, if any man would believe in me, out of his heart will flow torrents of powerful living water. Does that describe you? Or is your Christian life just like, boom, boom, you know? 
One way or another, if that's you, there's a baptism that needs to take place. Maybe you've never been saved and you've never been born again and the Spirit of God has never baptized you into God's church. Right here, right now, in your seat, you can say, Jesus, you're talking to me right now. You're talking to me. I want salvation. I want freedom from sin. I want to be forgiven. I want to go to heaven, not hell. I want the wrath of God to have been placed upon you, not me. Please save me. And like a little kid on Christmas morning, you can receive the gift of God. And as many as receive the gift of God, John chapter 1 says, to these he has given the permission and the right to be called sons and daughters of God. Is that you? I'm not asking if you're a Baptist or if your grandpa was a Christian that founded a church or anything like that. I'm not asking if if you're American, red-blooded or blue-blooded, I'm asking you, have you been born again? And as verse 13 says, have you by one spirit been baptized into God's church? That is what matters. That is what will affect eternity. And then once you say, I sure have right now in the middle of this sermon I have, God has baptized me by his spirit into the body. Let's talk water baptism. Let's, let's in obedience to the word of God, let's be baptized. And you can tell the whole world, I'm a new creation in Christ. And let's talk the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Do you have power? I got the power. I need it. I want it. Continually. All right? To be a witness to this world. That's the baptisms that we're speaking about in this series. And I want to tell you, there's different perspectives on when the power comes. But I would tell you, most agree, it's a continual coming of the, of the power. And so bring it, Lord. Bring it. We need it. We want it. Better yet, we want him. We need him. Because the Holy Spirit's not an it or an impersonal force. He's a person. Okay? You guys get all that? Okay, I sure hope so. All right. One beautiful thing about this baptism, who gets to be baptized? Only the really cool, great people. Well, yeah, that's true. But whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Greek or whether you're like me, 164th Omaha Indian... Whatever, it says here at the end of verse 13, I'm very proud of that 164th, don't mock it. Whether you're a Jew or a Greek, whether you are a slave or a free, whether you're poor and have to serve other people, or you're rich and people are serving you, it doesn't matter who you are, God can save you. And he brings us into one body. And that's what's glorious about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is because now, it's not like high school where the jocks hang out with the, high, the jocks, the hicks hang out with the hicks, the emos hang out with the emos, the, the uh, what's the, these glasses guys and the, what are they called again? Hipsters, thanks. I remembered it first service. You know, you guys don't know who any, the people came up literally. What's an emo? Okay, forget it. All right. <laughs> But you can be old and you can be young. And you know what? Jesus brings us together so that I can hang out with an old black guy, all right, from another country. And I can say, you are my brother in Christ. We might not have a whole lot of in common in all these other ways, but we got Jesus. We got a mission. We've been called on an adventure. Let's talk about it. Let's get to it. Let's worship God and praise God. Whether you're Jew or Greek, slave or free, we have been baptized into the body of Christ for an incredible purpose, all right? Now, don't let this get old because it might get old. Paul's going to say it many times and I got to teach on it. So I say it a few more times. But verse 14 says, for in fact, there's a fact. The body is not one member, but many. The body is many members, which means a constituent part having a function on its own. There's not one part of the body. There are many. There are thousands of parts to the body. And you know what? It's no accident that God has made unity and diversity. Diversity is no accidental attribute of the body. It is of its very essence. There is design behind our bodies. And there is design behind this body. No one member is to be created within the body. It takes many members to make up the body. And so we get into a series in these following verses of somewhat humorous rhetorical questions, all right? In verses 15 and 16, it says, If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? You know, my little girl is so cute right now. She's throwing fits, and that's not normally cute, but it's cute when she's like, oh, I can't have a candy? Well, then, hmm, I'm never going to let you snuggle me again, you know? 
totally sinful, we address it. But this is what we have going on here, all right? We have the foot saying, oh, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of this body ever again. I'm not going to snuggle anybody, okay? (laughs) Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? I mean, do these members and parts actually have the right to even say that? Now, let's transpose this body talk to church life, specifically to spiritual gifts. Because I'm not a prophet, I'm useless. Because I'm not on the worship team, I'm worthless. Because I'm not a pastor or an elder and I don't have a fall foliage picture with my wife, what am I worth around here? Okay? Because my service of the church body is behind the scenes and in obscurity and I'm required to wear rubber gloves and whatever, then I'm worthless. That's the idea that's communicated here. And it's not true. Now the foot may very well be depressed as its inability to exercise all of the complicated functions of the hand. And the foot may see its own function as a lowly one. Man, I'm always in the shoe. Man, I'm in the dirt. Man, I get stubbed all the time. Man, I got this big, huge body that I'm packing around all the time, and I get blamed if they fall. Man, I'm not part of this body. I'm useless. Now, it's interesting. In Chrysostom, the third century golden-tongued preacher, rightly points out that in Paul's epistle here, The foot is comparing itself to something similar to it. The foot is comparing itself to the hand. Man, I got five little wiggly tigglies, you know, whatever you call those things. I know toes, but I don't know. I got the same thing as that, you know, five on each. Why can't I type on the keyboard or, you know, whatever else these things do. Pick the nose. Okay, sorry. That's the high school pastor coming out in me. We are very prone, you know, the eye and the ear, they're comparing themselves. And it's interesting because that's how we are in the church. We're, we're kind of similar. Man, I'm kind of similar to, you know, for me lately, I've just been noticing, and I mentioned it before, praise God, there's a, there's a new young pastor in the Calvary Chapel movement. His name's Levi Lusco, and we heard him at the Boise conference. I mean, that guy's a powerful speaker. He's super hip in style with his skinny jeans and his slick back hairdo, all right? He's preaching at every big conference in the world, and you know what? God has called him to do that and given him those giftings, and I may never do that. But the temptation is to be like, well, I'm a pastor, and I'm a preacher, and I'm young, and I don't wear skinny jeans, and maybe there's people with baggy jeans that would like to hear about Jesus. I don't know. But we would compare ourselves, all right? And for you, it might be similar. Ah, oh, you know? I'm a woman, and I like women, and I like to speak with women, so how, I'm not, how come I'm not, you know, um, Nikki Wetzel, you know, and I'm uh, leading a core group, and I'm helping out Rory, and I'm calling women in the middle of the week and encouraging them, and, uh, you know, it's like, man, God has made you not a Nikki Wetzel, and not a Stephanie Mapes, and not a Lindsay Rogers. He has made you you, all right? So don't think that you're useless, because that's just not true. I've also been singing a song in our house with Russell, that goes, I believe I can fly. (laughs) And he invented this little tag after that part of the song where he goes, that's not true, you know. (laughs) I believe I can touch the sky. Not gonna happen, you know. (laughs) It's just right here. I'm not a part of the body because I'm not like that guy. That's not true, you know. It's not true, okay. So we want to remedy this problem that's called the useless syndrome with the truth. And Paul would just say here, number one, I'm going to give you three remedies for your useless syndrome because many of you have it. First of all, you think you're useless. It's not true. All right? And we want to pray against it and we want to preach against it and we want to read the scriptures against it because it's not true and Satan wants to rob our church of all kinds of powerful activity and function through lying to you, telling you that you are useless. I'm sorry, Mr. and Mrs. Individual Member of the Church, but you cannot contract out and just go try to be somewhere else and something else because God has called you to use your gift in this local part of the body. Look at verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, 
Where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? Now, this is where we find the second prescription for the problem of of uselessness, all right? Paul talks about the body here, and he says, It is necessary that there is diversity and differences. How boring would our life be, and how useless would our life be, if there were no other body parts but one thing? All right. How could we possibly function if we all had the same gift and the same gift sets? John Piper said, so if a person says, I am useless because my function is not like the function of that guy, what he's actually saying is, the church should not be a body with many diverse members. It should only have a few members, and I should be like a lot of the other ones. But the truth is found all throughout the chapter, even in verse 20, there are many members but one body, and that's what it means to be a body. All right? So not only do we need to preach truth to your uselessness syndrome, but secondly, we need to recognize that your idea there is not consistent with body life, the body life that is preached all throughout the New Testament. Verse 18 gives us the third remedy to your uselessness syndrome. But now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he has pleased. We need to remember what this whole chapter tells us many different times. Who is the distributor of the gifts? It's the Holy Spirit. It's God. And it's according to his good will and pleasure. So the third remedy to your useless problem is that you need to start trusting in God and his sovereign design of what he wants the church to be and how he's placed the body parts to be just as they are for your best interests, for the edification of the church, and for a manifestation of the spirit to be present. Trust God. I remember being 14 years old and having a bit of the useless syndrome because I started going to Calvary Chapel for the first time, but my older sister, Heather, right there, uh, had gone before me, and everybody loved Heather. Here comes her little brother. Oh, great. I'm going to the youth group, and I'm just known as Heather's little brother, all right? And so I went there a little bit, and, you know, people were really friendly, but I'm just Heather's little brother. Hey, Rory, why don't you come to summer camp and hang out with all of us and learn about Jesus? Yeah, so I can go there and just be known as Heather's little brother. Well, I went, and guess what? I way surpassed Heather. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Totally teasing. Uh, What I found was that, yeah, I'm Heather's little brother, but I'm not just Heather's little brother. God has designed Rory with these gifts to be used in the church in these ways. And it's the same with you. It's the same with you. Be encouraged and trust the Lord because in his sovereign plan and design, he's a creator. He's created you and he's given you gifts that go way beyond any natural talent you've ever had. Oh, they might enhance your natural talent like a thousand fold so that when you do what you used to be good at before you became a Christian, you're like a trillion times better now. And people are like, whoa, now that you're plumbing in the power of the Holy Spirit, God has showed up. All right. You getting that? He takes even our natural talents and moves them on. And he adds to those natural talents. Romans 12, 3 through 6 speaks more. And we're back there. This is that verse again. I want to see at the end of verse 3 and note that God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Right before that, it says, Do not think of yourself more highly than, or he shouldn't think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but should think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. This actually is a remedy to the next problem we're going to come across, excuse me, which is called the self-sufficiency syndrome. It's the opposite of the useless syndrome, and it's the, I'm so awesome and have so many gifts, I don't need the rest of the body, all right? And you need to remember not to be haughty because God is the one who has dealt to every single one a measure of faith. And then if you jump down to verse 6, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Verse 7 of chapter 12 told us that each one has been given a manifestation of the Spirit, and it's for the profit of all. Each one of you, if you're a Christian here today, you have been given a gift. You've been given maybe even many gifts, and God maybe plans to give you more gifts as time goes on. 
Each one of you that's born again today, that's been baptized by one spirit into this church, into the church of God, has been given a gift. Having gifts that differ according to the grace that's given to us, let us use them. You see, God's grace and God's care doesn't just go to the what seems more important person or to the spectacular guy or girl. His oversight and designing creativity extends to every member of the church. And that includes you. That includes you, doubting Christian. Look at verse 19. If all were one member, where would the body be? Where would the body be? What kind of body would only have one member? If God were to fashion our body, John Calvin says, if God were to fashion our body into a mass of this kind, it would be a useless heap. Some kind of a body with just one member? Oh, good job, God. You know, it's a useless heap. I remember being a high school pastor and teaching this to the high school kids, and we were out at a barbecue in the park. And I was like, what would it be like if... If there was a body and only had, you know, there's just no parts, no eyes, no ears, no mouth, no nose, no head, no shoulders, no knees, no toes, no knees and no toes, okay? I happened to have a hot dog sitting on the table, left over by one of the kids sitting there. I was like, we would be like this hot dog, just rolling around, enjoying life, you know? No members, no parts, just a useless heap. One guy came up to me after first service and goes, we would be like Mr. Potato Head in Toy Stories after all of his appendages popped off, you know? You got like the, eye, the mouth over there, you know, and the, you know, he's, he's just a potato, all right? God has not called this church to, to just be a potato. Let's move on, hurry. Verse 20, but now indeed there are many members, yet one body. One body, many members. And I would ask you today, what member are you? What part do you play here? The most important thing, remember, is that you're born again, that you are regenerate, that you're given a new heart, that you're baptized by the Spirit into the church of God. And then once that happens, you need to understand, now that you're born again, you've been given a gift, you're part of the body, what part are you? Isn't it exciting to think about that? Man, I am something that's totally presentable. I'm the hair. Hey, God wants to faux hawk you. God wants to give you a perm, all right? God wants to use you to be the hair and do what the hair does for the body. You're the medulla oblongata. You're the little hangy thing on the back of the mouth. You're the toe. You are needed. But what part are you? Have you ever thought about that? Because verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 12 says this, don't be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. Don't be ignorant about what part of the body you are. And don't lie. Don't lie to yourself and don't let the enemy lie to you to say you are useless because you're not that guy or that girl. Hey, you're just as awesome as God has created you with your giftings and talents. Verse 21 says, And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So this gets into that self-sufficiency syndrome, which is also a huge problem in the church. William Barclay comments, Whenever we begin to think about our own importance in the Christian church, the possibility of really Christian work is gone. When we get prideful and think we can do it on our own, man, anything that God has intended to do through this corporate body, it's been quenched. A fire has been doused and put out. I got to thinking about uh, a movie that I watched recently, The Hunt for Red October, okay? Sean Connery, the Scottish guy playing the Russian dude. I don't know how that works out. It's a walking contradiction, I'm pretty sure. But he's a submarine captain, right? They get like a couple hundred guys inside a sub, take it down under the ocean, bloop. It's going under radars on. And it's not one guy that's driving that thing. You got the captain, and he's like, they're driving this thing in the blind. They don't know where the rocks are down there. And they're like, uh, let's give it 100 meters, sir. You know, and, and he's on his little telephone, a big telephone, actually. And he's like, steer right, five degrees, you know. And, and there's one guy on a steering wheel. Okay, turns at five degrees. And there's another dude. Throttle it forward. One guy, that's all he does. Throttle it forward, throttle it back. Whole time, that's his job, all right? Got another guy, he's plunging the toilet in the back because those submarines, okay. <laughs> Hundreds of guys, torpedo guys. Every, every single one of those guys, man, if you don't have one of them, you could die, get blown up by another ship. You gotta have the guy on the radar that knows how to listen to sounds. He's like, it's just a killer whale. Don't worry about it, you know? It's a to- you need everybody, 
You need everybody. In fact, I heard a story recently about a ship's captain and a ship's chief engineer who were arguing about whose jobs were more vital and more important. So they decided to solve the argument by swapping places, all right? An hour goes by, the captain comes up from the bottom of the engine deck, and he's covered in grease and covered in oil, and he's got the monkey wrench. And he says, I'm so sorry, chief. You know, I just, I can't get her to run. I can't get the, there's no power. And, and the, the chief engineer who's now functioning as the captain says, no, no wonder you can't. I just ran her aground. <laughs> Your position in this church, man, praise God that you're not the worship leader. And praise God that you're not the, the greeter at the front door. Praise God that you're not the custodial person. But whatever you are, God has created you to be just that so that the Holy Spirit could be manifested in this place. And you know what? That's what we were created for. The chief end of man is to, to know God and to enjoy him forever. And he wants us to know him through the manifestation of his spirit. Verse 22 says, No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. The weaker seem to be the indispensable, or they, they seem to be the ones that are uh, unnecessary, or maybe of low importance. Until it's hurt, then you realize how important it is. You never realize how important your throat is until you get strep throat, and you can't swallow anything for a week, Right? And you're like, holy cow, the only way to get sustenance is through this general region, okay? We need the throat. We need it to function. God's given us Adam's apples. They seem unnecessary, but they're very important. Some of us have 10 times larger ones than other people. How necessary the less strong parts are. Verse 23 says, those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. Now, some, as they read this, they seem to think that the less honorable parts are those that, you know, um, are hidden. They've got the heart, the lungs, the stomach, the intestinal canal, the reproductive organs, and uh, you can't see them. They seem to be uh, dishonored, but they're very important. They're very necessary. We can't live without them, and even though they're hidden, we honor them by covering them and by clothing them and by giving them honor. To invest with honor is to put on a covering for the sake of ornament in order that those members may be honorably concealed, which would involve shame if uncovered. So praise God that this church has many people that are using their gifts behind the scenes. You know, no one knows that they're doing it. They're here during the week when nobody's here and they're running that vacuum and they're plunging that toilet and they're hanging that door and they're scraping that snow or they're back with the children and you guys don't know they're there, but they're raising up the next generation. It's been said that Christianity would go extinct if the next generation wasn't born again. And so these individuals back there, they are making disciples of our kids and many of you, you don't know who they are. And I'll tell you, when we happen to have some kind of a banquet or something at this church to thank people that do that kind of stuff, man, it is like, hey, we know that we never see you doing it, but we appreciate it so much. There's so much honor that goes towards you for your self-sacrifice and your serving in obscurity. Verse 24 says, but our presentable parts have no need of this kind of honor, but God composed the body, having given greater honor to the part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. You know, just to show how unified we are in our diverse body parts, you guys know how it is. Man, when you tweak your back, you know, the rest of your body suffers. You know, you got all these other muscles that are trying to compensate for that injury and they all get sore and all the way up your neck and your headache, it, you get a cavity in your tooth, all of a sudden the other teeth hurt, your gums are swelling, the rest of your body hurts. You will, you know, if you, I remember Chad Carpenter using this, this analogy, if you get shot, what happens? Your arm immediately goes to the wound, Right? Uh, we help when, when one person is injured and suffered, the rest suffers with it. There are people in this church that are part of this body and they are hurting. They are suffering. They're in the hospital right now. Right now, Arlene Black is over uh, in St. Charles with heart failure. 
And as we heard of that, just the body sprang to help Arlene and to love on Arlene. And there's many other stories like it. It was so cool. Um, New Year's Eve, we got a call that a gal from our church uh, was being evicted from her home. And, uh, you know, we just sent out an SOS. Who can come help this part of our body, this, this woman? And I showed up to help thinking, oh, probably two or three of us. There were like 12 men there with pickups and trailers and horse trailers and forearm forklift moving straps and gloves on and you know and we just went to work loving on this person in our body when one member is suffering we weep with each other we cry with each other and when one member is rejoicing we we rejoice it's been said real fellowship doubles our joys and divides our grief but it is impossible for one part of the body to be in pain and the remainder of the body to be at peace Verse 27 says, and we have just some application of all of this, tying it all in. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. The book of Ephesians and Colossians, they tell us that we are the body of Christ, but Jesus is the head. He's the boss. He's the life source. If we get disconnected from the head, then we either have stroke-like systems of paralysis or we have some sort of uh, seizure type thing where we're disconnected from the brain. He can't control us, uh, but we're going to do what we want to do anyways. And that is not a healthy body. We listen to the head. And Ephesians chapter 4 tells us that this church life, this body life that we have, there's all kinds of joints that are connecting these body parts and these members. It says we're knit together, knit together. And it says that every part does its share. That's the church. According to Paul in the book of Ephesians, it says every joint will supply something and every part does its share. And I would ask you today, Are you doing your share at Calvary Chapel of Crook County? Are you doing your part? I don't mean to guilt anybody into anything, but I would exhort and encourage you, if you are a part of this church, you're a born-again Christian, this place, God has wonderfully designed it to have you supply something to this church, to build up the church, to encourage people so that we can go out and make disciples of all nations. There was a statistic recently done that that showed that most churches have 20% of the congregation doing the work of the church and 80% just sit back and relax and watch everybody else do it and critique it and be critical of it. All right? That's the majority of the churches in America. I don't know that that's our statistic. Maybe we're 40, 60, 50, 50, whatever. Uh, But but I would certainly say we're not 100%. Every joint supplying, every part doing its share. You see, when you have a 20-80 type of a percentage there, and 80% of the people sit back and don't do anything, you know what you call that? Consumerism. And as Americans, we're good at being consumers. And we think of the church as being uh, a business. And if that business doesn't snap to and please me and do everything I want it to do, then I'm going to leave and I'm going to find another business. But friends, we are not called as Christians to be consumers nor to come to be part of a business, we are called to be part of a family. We're a family. And the difference is a consumer says, pour into me, I'm not gonna give anything back, supply all my needs. If you mess up at all, I'm gonna be critical and judgmental and not help at all. That's not what God's called us to. He's called us to be a family. And what does a family do? A family helps out. A family loves. A family is there. A family participates. Are you doing that? Are you doing your share? Are you supplying? Charles Spurgeon said this, and I'm going to quote it because I can't get in trouble for saying it. Um, I can only get in trouble for quoting it. I'm kidding. He says this, I want every member of this church to be a worker. We do not want any drones. If there are any of you who want to eat and drink and do nothing, there are plenty of places elsewhere where you can do it. There are plenty of pews about in abundance. Go and fill them, for we do not want you. Every Christian who is not a bee is a wasp. The most quarrelsome person are the most useless, and they who are the most happy and peaceable are generally those who are doing the most for Christ. Now, we have a lot of pews here, but we don't desire pew warmers. We've got a thermostat to do that. 
We desire people that are part of the body. They are members. They are parts. They have function. And we're all serving and loving each other for the greater good, for, for, the, for the edification of the church. We're going to have the worship team come forward. And as we close in communion, we're going to be challenged with this because we take of the loaf. And the taking of the loaf itself shows us that we are not by ourselves. We're part of each other. We're part of Christ. We're part of each other. And I hope that, you know, the Spurgeon quote of, of, you know, man, if you're just here to take and to complain and you have no intention of ever helping out, then perhaps it would be better to go somewhere else. Those are harsh words, but they're confrontational. And the Bible confronts us every step of our life. You know, uh, I, have a, I have a, had a horse when I was about 17 years old, a Mustang from Nevada. And uh, my dad and I got it from Burns, and we broke him in. And, and uh, man, I'd be riding along, and he'd be doing okay. And I'd come up to a creek, and he'd just stop, and I'd fall off the front, you know, into the creek. And we'd be riding along, and he'd just stop. And we always called it balking up. And he'd balk up, and I'd be like, come on, Noble, come on, bud, come on. And he'd just be like, and he'd give these little, like, diaphragmal moans or something. You're, and then I'd get my little spurs out and be like, bing, you know? And he'd be like, woohoo, you know? And we'd start going again. I'm sorry, I'm not the horse whisperer. I used my spurs, okay? And so often that's what we are as Christians. You know, we come to hear from the Bible, to learn about God, and God is revealing everything about himself and everything he's designed this church to be and, our, and us to be as a family And we come in here and we sit here on a Sunday morning and we're just like, can't you just talk about heaven and like paradise and stuff? It's like, that's all good too. But God knows us where we're at and he wants to spur us on and exhort us towards his great and perfect plan. And so before you drink of the cup and eat of the bread this morning, there's a couple things. First of all, have you been baptized by the Spirit, into this body? Have you been born again? If so, you can come forward this morning and get the bread and get the cup and ponder the blood of Jesus and ponder his body that are symbolized in the the elements there. And you can thank the Lord for making a way available to be part of this family, to be part of the, the loaf, if you will. The Lord wants to save you if you're here today and you're not born again. The Lord desires that you wouldn't perish and that you wouldn't spend eternity in hell. And if you hear him calling, if you hear him knocking, if you hear his voice today, man, would you open the door of your heart? He says, if you hear my knocking, if you hear my voice, open the door and I will come in to you and I will dine with you and you with me. Don't miss out on that. Don't miss out on that. He's got such an incredible plan for you, and he wants to adopt you. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Primeville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write us at P.O. Box 378, Primeville, Oregon 97754, or check us out further at our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.